Well, greetings, everybody, and welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are officially sponsored by Running Aces. We also have our official tour, which is Next Level Poker, and our other partners, the Poker is Fun Tour and PokerCoaching.com, which is Jonathan Little's site. So thanks to all of our sponsors and partners. We appreciate uh, your support in this uh, cool endeavor that we have going called Rec Poker. Uh, if you have any feedback of any kind, please reach out to me directly uh, through Twitter, Facebook, email stevefredland at gmail.com. I get a lot of great emails from all y'all with some good ideas, good suggestions, and appreciate that more than I can say. So uh, we're just trying to figure out what we're doing here and uh, and uh, appreciate your, your engagement and your encouragement along the way. A quick plug here for All In For Africa 7, which is coming up October 28th at Running Aces. Some really cool things going on there. We already have 40 different people that are donating prizes and will be bounties at the tournament. Uh, we're hoping we can break our record of 140 unique players that have shown up. I say unique players because we always get a ton of rebuys and a ton of add-ons. But the most we've had is 140 players, and uh, hopefully we can break that record and raise as much money as possible for the Against Malaria Foundation, which is our partner organization through Reg Charity, which does phenomenal work in the poker community. So come and support that cause. It's going to be a great time. So with that, why don't we get into part two of five of the uh, book study of Jonathan Little's book, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 1. Uh, this is covering chapters five and six. So if you want to pause it here, read that first, and come back to the discussion. That's great. I don't think you have to read it in order to enjoy the conversation, but obviously uh, it could increase your depth of learning. We've had some great success for people that have been part of this Rec Boker podcast. Uh, I mentioned it on Twitter last couple of weeks. A lot of our folks have been uh, scoring some big wins uh, at tournaments at Running Aces and beyond. So I, I think we're learning as a group, and I think we're, we're increasing our edge over those who aren't studying. So I'd say stay engaged and keep learning. Uh, what you're going to hear in this uh, episode is a little bit of audio from Jonathan Little referring to this section, chapters 5 and 6, and then uh, we'll turn it over to the discussion that I recorded with a number of recreational players uh, a little while ago, and uh, we'll hear what they had to say, some of their key thoughts from the book. So uh, thanks for your encouragement and your engagement, and hopefully you will enjoy this episode and tell your family and friends about it. All right, see ya. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota, featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit runaces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Hello everyone, this is Jonathan Little. I am here going over again some of the concepts from my book, Secrets of Professional Tournament Poker, Volume 1. Today we're going to be talking about various post-flop concepts when you are playing very deep stacked. The first thing you have to understand is that whenever you are betting after the flop, you're usually either value betting or bluffing. If you are not doing either of those things, you probably should not be betting. And this is something that gets a lot of amateur players in trouble. They will raise before the flop with a hand and then think that they have to continuation bet it every single time. And I think that that is a huge error that will get them in trouble in the long run, especially when they start moving up and playing against players who realize that they are continuation betting 100% of the time. Um, there are even some somewhat well-known players, I'm not going to throw their names out, but they're known for raising and continuation betting with 100% of hands, and virtually all of these players have 
stops playing the high stakes tournaments because this strategy is just not profitable. Um, typically, you want to be betting with your best hands. These are going to be your top pair, good kickers and better. And then your draws. That, and any draw kind of fits into this category. And just thinking about your range in general, you want to try to have about, at most, two-thirds draws in your range to one-third bluffs. I'm not really sure if I discussed this in the book, but it is an important concept. Two-thirds va- or two-thirds bluffs, one-third value hands. And I say quote-unquote bluffs. Bluffs mean uh, the draws. And you'll find that if you have a very strong preflop range, because let's say you raise some early position, and the board comes with mostly high cards, well, you're not going to have very many bluffs because you just should not have very many junky hands. If, say, the board comes king-queen three and you raise from under the gun, well, there's just not many bluffs in your range at all. So for that reason, in those scenarios, you often want to be betting small with a lot of your range. As your range gets tilted towards value hands, you want to bet small. As you have more bluffs in your range, you typically want to bet a little bit on the larger side. Um, so the times you don't want to bet are when you have a marginal made hand or when you just have absolute garbage. If you're playing strong ranges, you're going to find that often you have a decent amount of strong made hands in your range. And for, in that scenario, a lot of your, you know, quote unquote garbage becomes effectively a draw. So you can bet with some of your, your junk if you do have reasonable ranges. But if you are opening with wide ranges, you're going to have way too much junk in your range. And if you're Bluffing too often, your opponents can raise you or call on the flop and then put you in pretty bad spots. So hands you typically want to check are your marginal made hands. So what are marginal made hands? Let's say you raise from early position with pocket jacks and it does come king, queen, three. Well, that's one of the few hands in your range that's very clearly a marginal made hand. If the flop checks down, you're usually pretty happy. I mean, you're probably going to win the pot if it goes check, 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 check. However, if you bet and your opponent calls... Like, what, are your, what is your opponent really calling with on king, queen, three that you're happy about? And it's not much. I mean, maybe you can get value from ace, ten, or pocket tens, but that's about it. So typically, you want to just check with these hands. And sometimes you're looking to check call. Sometimes you're looking to check fold. Uh, say you do raise with pocket jacks from early position, and it comes king, queen, three, and one player called you. If you know they're just straightforward and they only bet when they have something decent, you can just check fold. It's okay. And... If you know your opponent's very aggressive and he'll just mindlessly attack whenever you check, well, that's a guy you probably want to consider calling at least the flop in the turn and see what develops on the river. Um, hopefully it should be clear, though, that if you are check calling the flop and turn and then folding the river every time, well, that's a horrible line to take versus an aggressive player because they're going to win the pot from you every single time on the river. So against those players, you need to mix in some more checks with hands like top pair bad kicker, like king 10 suited if you raise that from early position, or a hand like ace queen for, for middle pair. That would also be a pretty nice hand to check. Uh, there's definitely a lot to post-flop play. We discussed this extensively over at PokerCoaching.com. There we have monthly homework questions that, that I um, ask the users to answer, and then I go through in a group webinar, and we uh, I go through and I analyze all of these students' answers, and we find what the students are doing right, what they're doing wrong, and we you know try to find holes in the students' game. And so far, the students have been loving it, and they've been putting up great scores and small and medium stakes and even some high-stakes tournaments, so... I'm very happy at that. You can check that out at pokercoaching.com. So uh, a few more tactics for playing the flop. The, a lot of players, especially in the small stakes games, like to lead into the preflop razor. And this is a fine play if your range is balanced. The problem with leading is that it's very hard to balance your range. Because whenever you lead with a hand, it inherently takes it out of your checking range. So if you're leading with, let's say, all of your top pairs... Well, then when you check, you don't have top pairs anymore. 
And that's a problem because it makes your range very weak. If you are leading with only your junk, like let's say all of your bad gut shot straight draws that are not quite good enough to check call or check raise, well, now your opponent knows that you don't have those in your range when you check, and that makes your checking range stronger. So typically, the times you want to lead in small stakes games are when you're trying to exploit your opponent. And you have to figure out what your opponent's going to do wrong. If your opponent's going to play well versus a lead, well, you just probably don't want to lead with anything. But let's say they always raise when you lead because they think leads are weak. Well, now you can just lead with all of your decent made hands because they're going to attack you and you're going to get them to bluff off their stack. Alternatively, if they think leads are always strong or they just play straightforwardly, you can lead with all of your junk because they're going to fold out too often. So leading is typically reserved as an exploitable, exploitative play versus small stakes and medium stakes or just weak players in general. It's important to understand that the stakes you're playing do not actually matter because money is relative. I mean, for example, whenever I first started playing, uh, like I mentioned in one of the previous um, recordings here on this podcast, I started with $50, right? And $10 was a lot of money to me back then. And I mean, I practiced very sound bankroll management. I always kept about 100 buy-ins in my account. And, you know, 50 bucks was, I mean, well, five bucks was a lot of money. And, you know, now I don't care about $5 at all. And that's just because money is indeed relative. And the same thing with player types. You have to understand that you're not playing against players in specific games. You're playing against players who have specific holes in their game or in their strategy. And as you play smaller stakes, the players tend to just get worse. And as you play higher stakes, the players get better. But there are still some bad players in high stakes games. And typically in the very high stakes games, those only run when a bad player shows up because otherwise it's just a bunch of really good players trading money. And a lot of good players don't want to just sit there and trade money with a ton of variance involved. So anyway, that was a bit of a tangent. Um, other things you can do on the flop. You can also raise or check raise the flop as a bluff. This is a very strong play to make versus players who continuation bet too often. And that's just because they cannot properly defend versus a check raise unless they continue with stuff like ace high. And you know, you're not going to find very many people who will continuation bet with ace high and then call a check raise with ace high, seeing what happens on the turn. Of course, if your opponent's a calling station, well then uh, against those players, you should you should not be bluffing too often. But check raising is a really strong play if your opponents are just too aggressive on the flop, but will then play straightforwardly. Floating is when you call a pre-flop raise and then call a continuation bet on the flop with a wide range, looking to steal the pot on the turn, either by betting the turn when your opponent checks or by raising the turn if your opponent bets. When you float, you do not always have to make a play. Often you want to be looking to bluff whenever the turn card is scary for your opponent's range. So, for example, say someone raises, you call on the button with whatever. Flop comes, eight of hearts, seven of hearts, three of diamonds. Your opponent bets, you call, turns a nine of hearts or a six of hearts, right? Those are obviously good turn cards for you to consider bluffing on because you can easily represent the straights and the flushes, whereas your opponent, if they raise from early-ish position or even middle position, probably doesn't have a whole lot of hands like um, well, straights and flushes in their range. Of course, they could have the straights or flushes, but odds are they don't. I actually have a program over at Float the Turn called the Float the Turn Range Analyzer. You can find that under under the tool section. It's completely free. And there you can go through, and if you plug in your opponent's earlier middle position raising range, you'll see that on the turn, they really don't have very many flushes or straights at all. 
And if you're the preflop or you're the, the preflop and the flop caller, you should often have at least some number of those hands. So uh, go, go play around with that. Again, you can get that at floattheturn.com. When there was a preflop re-raise, that often makes the ranges generally stronger. And whenever that happens, you have to understand that you get to flop with stronger ranges. Therefore, you have to be a little bit more conservative, especially when it comes to running bluffs, because your opponent should often have something. Um, that said, so it depends a lot on who, who the preflop raiser or re-raiser is. So say someone raises and you re-raise and they call, well, you should have a much stronger range than that player because presumably presumably they would four bet with their best hands. So when they just call, often you have a range advantage is what it's referred to as, and you can bet small on the flop and put them in pretty bad spots. Alternatively, if you're in your opponent's shoes where you raise and someone else re-raises you and then you call, well, now they often have the range advantage. So you can do a few things to mitigate that. You can make sure that you are not calling three bets from out of position too wide. Perhaps you adjust by using a four bet or fold strategy before the flop. And also, you can just play strong-ish ranges to where your opponent really should not have that much of an advantage over you. Alternatively, if you don't want to be four betting with a lot of bluffs, you could just call with all of your premium hands when you get three bets. And that's going to keep your range strong so that if you have hands like aces and kings and queens in your raise and then calling of a three bet range and your opponent thinks those hands are just not in your range because they assume you would four bet them, that's going to lead to them making a lot of errors and also just generally strengthens your range. Do not think that just because you have what is traditionally considered to be a strong hand that you must re-raise. You want to play your hand in a, lead, in a way that leads to you winning the most money on average. And especially against aggressive players, often the way that you win most money is by playing your hand a little bit slowly. Not necessarily trapping or anything. We're not trying to check-raise them at any point. But we're trying to check and induce them to bluff us. Check, call, check, call, check, call. And that's going to put them in pretty nasty spots. Um, finally, on the flop, multi-way pot considerations are very important. As you play more multi-way, it's going to be more likely that someone has something. So this should lead to you continuation betting less often, bluffing the flop less often, and just generally making fewer aggressive plays as a bluff. And that's just because someone is going to have something. And if it's not you, well, it's probably one of your opponents. So that's going to be it for today. I want to thank you all for being here again. If I hope you're enjoying the book, definitely let me know on Twitter at Jonathan Little, and I'll talk to you next time. So for me, in, in Section 2, Chapters 5 and 6, this is post-flop concepts, playing the flop deep stack. For me, the key takeaways were, uh, again, bluffing, uh, stone-cold bluffs versus semi-bluffing, trying to have some hand equity. That's not always the case when I bluff, and I'm trying to get better at, at having at least some hand equity, some outs if things go, uh, go south. Uh, pot control has been something I've been thinking a lot about since reading the book, and it's, it's, I think it's helped me a lot in tournaments. Uh, floating is a new tool that I've introduced because of the book. I've done more floating of people, uh, kind of putting them to the test in a more passive way, I guess. Uh, C-betting less. Like I said uh, last week, uh, realizing you don't have to raise every button. Uh, for me, realizing I don't have to always continuation bet if I bet pre-flop. There are times where it maybe doesn't make sense to do that. And then multi-way pots. Um, trying to, I'm trying to bluff less in multi-way pots than I used to. Always thinking, well, if nobody wants it, I'm going to take it. And there are cases for that. But what I found is a lot of times people are just slow playing or they're willing to call you or whatever. So that's something else I took out of the out of the book for multi-way pots. Yeah, I mean, this is an interesting thing because he started bringing up all those topics you just mentioned. I thought he mentioned he was continuum betting, continuation betting 85% of the time somewhere in there, which I thought... But I was probably 95%. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, and I might have been I sure wasn't 100. 
Well, yeah, right. <laughs> well, and I think for me, part of it, maybe maybe you're right. He still seatbelts a lot, but for me, sorry, I'm not, I said not good the, doc, the conversation. Now I am, but but defending myself, having a reason to seatbelt, I'll say I have more of a reason to continuation bet now. Right, but he did balance that I thought nicely by saying, you know, you even on your uh, seatbelts or your button position, I said it's okay to fold. It's okay to not bet in these positions once in a while. That, that that brings value to what you're doing when you you are doing it you know so position is wonderful but it's worthless if you make it worthless you know by always being in every hand you know so so I, I don't know he talked about the we were talking about bluffing and knock betting and other things with he's, he's now going to go back into you know I, I liked a lot of the conversations about pot control and floating and, and other things that stop you from getting too many chips on the table too fast you know, which is what we see in these lower buy-in tournaments. Too many chips are getting in too fast, and we're not getting down to a playable hand later in the hand. That's all I have. Um, for me, the, one of the big things was when he was talking about playing from the small blind, which I think is always challenging. He's pretty specific about um, being really tight in the small blind for the reason that, obviously, you're out of position for the rest of the hand. And he even says here, when someone raises from basically any position, you should usually re-raise or fold from the small blind as long as you do not have a hand with huge implied odds. Basically, if your hand is too weak to re-raise, you should fold. So the idea of folding on the small blind, um, that's news to me. <laughs> I, I usually look for a reason to call, but obviously it makes sense. You're, just, that's, you're out of position. Yeah, I guess I wouldn't. I wouldn't normally have looked at calling too, just because I've got halfway there, or got something in already. But um, no, this this section was was really good for me. I had a couple of new terms because I hadn't heard of dog betting or the floating before. So some some good concepts. I, I like the stuff about the check, the idea of the check raising the flop, and um, he he had the comment about failing to continuation bet is one of the biggest leaks in a weak player's game. And so I guess I'm one of the weak, because I don't <laughs> continuation bet very much, so I was at that bottom end. So, so that idea of, you know, maybe look at continuation betting a little bit more often because people don't know that you didn't hit instead of just having I didn't hit. So now I'm going to check. Well, we're going to read that. <laughs> so that would imply if weak players fold too much. Strong players go 95% or better. <laughs> I think there's an optimal point in there somewhere. I think uh, what I got out of it, a lot of it was continuation betting. I always, I've been a, I always do a lot of continuation bets. I'm probably in that 80, 85%. One of the things though that I noticed, he talked about the bet sizing. I was always half on, or right around half on. It's always going to be half on, no matter what the flop is. And he <coughs> talked about, well, if you got a, a wet board, you might want to get out there with a three quarter. To, to take the odds away from that person calling you. So I, I was probably getting myself in trouble before because it was always just, I was, what, well, oh, it's, it's okay, it's half pot. And so that, that was a big eye opener for me. I think pot control is a big one for me, but I want to get into the discussion of why it's a big one for me. But yeah, I like pot control. And check raising, I guess, too, which is something that I hardly ever do unless I like, you know, flop something like the nuts and then I'll check raise, but I never, would have check raised before with a bad hand. Uh, like other people, I just I wrote down, utilize the occasional donk bet. I just I don't know if I've I almost never donk bet. I don't think so. 
that was of interest um, and a good reminder to not float out of position. I mean, he just basically said never mm-hmm. float out of position. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure I have um, and probably will still a little bit. Um, <laughs> and I think Steve, you might have mentioned it too, but not not necessarily bluffing with complete air, multi-way pots, um, <coughs> semi-bluff more so than just trying to, I mean, sometimes you feel like you sense weakness and then you get two opponents, I'm just going to try to go get it. Um, with complete error <laughs> sometimes too, but doing that more so when you have some equity when you get lift up, so mm-hmm. that's a good reminder. Um, for me, I think the biggest thing is takeaways from these couple of chapters is telling a story when you bluff. Um, a lot of people kind of know how to well, have a good feel for how to pick off a bluff because when someone's doing it, you're trying to put together their story and it doesn't make sense, so you should think about that the opposite direction. Don't just bluff because you've got seven high and you think you can make this guy fold. What are you really representing? You have to kind of make it, make it have sense or have it make sense. The power of pot control and the power of floating are, I mean, those, those three things are, are pretty huge. So we'll get into them. But. And for me, um, comes back to what Rob says and understanding how to vary your bet size. I don't, as I mentioned before, don't vary my or may have mentioned before, don't vary my bet size based upon the strength of my hand because uh, I don't want to give anything away about the strength of my hand, but varying it based upon other situations like how wet the board is, my stack size, opponent's stack size, I think was a key concept. Yeah, um, big thing for me would be position and, you know, knowing what to do with the bets in those positions and continuation bet. Again, I always, continuation bet almost all the time, so it's time to tone that down and whatnot too. Yeah, I, I echo a lot of uh, what people have already kind of brought up as key points, um, but what I can add to it is, I took a couple of notes, one saying that thinking you have the best hand does not justify value betting, mm-hmm. and I think that's a huge thing where recreational poker players will get a hand and be like, oh, I think I'm ahead, I'm going to value bet, and it's actually against them, they're hurting themselves. Um, two things about bluffing one, or actually three uh, bluffing on the river needs to make sense to work, Brian kind of talked about that uh, don't bluff inexperienced opponents uh, because they're not going to be thinking about the hand the same way that you are uh, and then uh, don't run bluffs on calling stations uh, kind of seems simple but at the same time like if someone's known to call you down and see what you have on the river, you shouldn't be trying to bluff them. Uh, and then I think the last thing is, as we kind of move in towards the turn, is kind of talking about don't getting carried away with intricate plays. And lastly, if you have top pair, you put out your continuation bet. It doesn't always make sense to continue on the turn as well. Sometimes checking and kind of slowing down a little bit to control that pot size is the better play. And I think that was really important for me. I started doing that and I found a lot of improvements in my game. All right, so obviously pot control <coughs> seems to be one of the big topics. Let's, let's talk more about that. What, uh, what do people do? How important is it? What, what are the dangers? What do, what do you think? I think I've always, I've always kind of done that anyway. And uh, maybe I'm being uh, risk averse a lot of times when I get into those situations, when I got a big hand, like a top kicker, top kicker type hand, and I place a bet out there and somebody's calling me, I'm going, well, what the heck are they calling me with? 
What could they have that they're calling me with? And so you start looking at their range and whatever's on the board, <coughs> and I might slow down. If they check to me again on the turn, I might slow down and let them have an opportunity to bet into me on the river. Obviously, I'm going to call any river bet. Because like Jonathan Little says, your hand is underrepresented at that time. So I've been doing that for a long, long time. And so it just verified why I was, now I know why I was doing it. It was pot control. <laughs> <laughs> you just hadn't written the book. <laughs> I just hadn't written the book yet. I didn't know it was called. I didn't know what I was doing it. Yeah. <laughs> so just out of instinct, just because yeah. you just, yeah. out of, just from a risk perspective, your Probably. alarm bells going yep. off, just yep. saying. Okay, why are they calling? Let's, let's see a turn. Let's see what they do on the turn. Are they going to you know, bet into me? If they don't, I'm just going to check it back just to control the pot. I don't want to put a lot of chips in. All I got is top pair. And you made a good distinction. I mean, you're, you're, in your situation there, you were in position and how much right. easier it is to do pot control right. when you're in position. But other thoughts on what Rob shared? Yeah, I think kind of going back to the point that I brought up just a little bit ago, talking about on the turn, checking back with like top pair. Mm -hmm. uh, how I found that to be so valuable was when I was looking at kind of like this range of what I'm thinking is happening. So say I'm in position, they checked me on the flop, I continuation bet with top pair and they call. Then on the turn they checked me and I bet. If they have a worse hand than me, almost 100% of the time they're folding. Mm -hmm. If they have a better hand than me, <clears throat> They're either calling or raising, which kind of puts me in like this awkward spot of being on the wrong side of no matter what happens. Right. That must be what I was doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that, that's got to be it, right? But then if you like take away that bet and just go back and check instead, then it goes on to your opponent, which gives them the option to bluff, which you can call and get value from, or if it was a, if they were ahead, gives you an option to catch up if you can. So it kind of controls that pot and makes your decision simpler and allows you to play better, I think. I think that's a huge key, what you just said, is keep it simple, right? So in a situation like you have where you have top pair, top kicker, and you're, you're in position, all right, so you, you, you raise pre-flop, flop comes out, you hit top pair, top kicker, they check you, you bet, they call. No matter what comes on the turn, if you bet there, you're opening yourself up to having to face decisions, right? Because if you bet there, like Taylor said, there, th there's a chance that they could re-raise you or they could just call you anyway. And now when the river comes, if they lead out, what are you really facing there? They, I mean, depending on how wet the board was or if anything connected at all, now you have no idea where you stand, but you're faced with probably having to call because you have enough showdown value at that point. Whereas if you check back the turn, you still have top pair, top kicker, no matter what comes on the river, even if they do dog bet, it's a much easier call than it is if the extra bets went in on the turn. And if you are behind and they did catch up, now you're not losing as much. That's really the kind of power of pot control is when you do lose, you lose less. Yes. How do you balance that then with because there is obviously the risk when you when you let them see a free river card that they do catch up. So there's there is there's a you know the part of it is you know worse hands are going to fold on the turn if you bet. Mm -hmm. So you you know you lose some potential value there from hands that might pay you off on the river, but obviously you you also introduce the the element of getting caught up on the river. So I always wonder like you know without thinking about it all, well maybe it is mathematical <coughs> but just sort of like what's the paradigm there because I always wonder like. Look, if they fold on the turn, I'm just fine with that because I win the pot and I don't have any more risk there either, even though I know I'm losing some value. So how do you balance 
those so two things. Sure it's it's really thinking about what yeah. their what their range is, is going to be and if they're going to pay you off with a worse hand or not. Ever. Right, right, okay. So, because if, if they're going to fold to you on the turn, then they're going to fold to you on the river anyway. Well, see, I've got, I've got King Queen on a King Jack 7 board. I bet they call, so I think maybe they got a Jack, just as part of their range. Right. Or they, they're going to think maybe you have a Jack, you're trying to represent the King, whatever, mm -hmm. right? So when the turn comes, and the turn, let's just say the turn is a blank, right? Right. If, they, if you check back, now they for sure don't put you on a king. Mm -hmm. they, they think it extremely Pretty, unlikely. You like to represent your hand. Right? Yeah, mm -hmm. they th think it's extremely unlikely you right. don't have a king. And then a jack rolls off on the river. Well, jack rolls off on the That's <laughs> going to happen. But you know what? You, you want the guy with the jack to keep to stay in the pot yeah. because when the jack doesn't hit on the river, of course, they yeah. think you have a, they yeah. don't you don't have a king. They're going to lead out, and right. that's where you get your value. Whereas with the jack, if you bet out the turn. The, the amount of time that they're going to fold that jack is now you've represented aggression pre-flop, flop, and on the turn. Right, right. It's much more likely you have a king in your hand now. Now they're going to give up. You want your opponent to feel emboldened that they have you beat, right? So sure. by checking yeah. back the turn, you're disguising the strength of your hand. Now they feel better about theirs. They're going to miss their hand much more often than they hit, right. getting you that extra bet. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of thinking through, like, okay, 10% of the time they're going to hit their second pair, mm -hmm. they're going to hit something I'm going to lose, versus 90% of the time they're not. Right. And how much of that time am I actually going to get an extra bet, and is that worth it? That you're you're going to get that extra bet. If they if they have second pair and, a, and any mm -hmm. representation of any kind of kicker, you're going to get that extra bet on the river as close to 100% as Either you Either they're betting or they're going to call. Correct. Up. Okay. Yep. If the board is really wet, mm -hmm. then pot control doesn't make as much sense because mm -hmm. then all of a sudden there's a lot Draw, more yeah. hands. They yeah. have a bit much more cards larger range. Yep. And you're not going to know what portion of those hit mm -hmm. their particular hand. And they can hand. represent a lot of things. Exactly. Yeah. So, it, But if it's a really dry board and you're sitting there with, you know, top pair and like, let's say it's a jack high board, you have ace jack, um, you're not going to probably get a lot of money. You're not going to be able to get three streets of value. Mm -hmm. because they're going to end up folding before that. So it goes back to what Brian was saying. How are you going to get money in with the best hand? And by checking the turn, that might give you the best chance of getting additional money in while still having the best yeah. hand. And you so said that on the podcast before, yeah. checking for value. Right. right. And so you would say pot, mm -hmm. you use pot control more on a dry board than you might on a wet board. Right, because the wet board, there's a lot. A wet board is scary. Yeah. Right. Right? A dry board isn't as scary. So, yes, they're going to occasionally hit two pair, but that's a very small percentage of the time. Whereas a wet board, they could hit anything. Yeah. But see, that's where on a wet board, that's where I would say <laughs> I get more. I get nervous about, about you know, betting the turn there because I'm worried about getting check-raised by a draw or well, something like that. He, and he like says he, that in there. You know. He says, be careful about your medium-strength hands, which he mm -hmm. describes top as pair, a top-pair yeah. hand. Right. Yeah. And yeah. On a wet board with top pair hand, I don't know what the odds of losing by the time I get to a river showdown on, but it's pretty high. <laughs> you know, well, he talk, the concept that he talks about throughout the book, and I think it's really important, is trying to play as optimally as you can as if the cards were face up. Mm -hmm. Right? So when we're talking about checking back the turn, if you know on the King Jack 7, right? On the King Jack 7, you have King Queen, like you said, and your opponent has a jack in their hand. If you if the, if the cards are face up and, and they've got a jack, you can see that they have a jack. Do you want to bet the turn, or do you want to let them try to pay you off on the river, mm -hmm. right? 
on a wet board, all right, now you can see their hand. So let's say it's still the same King Jack seven, but it's King Jack of clubs and they're holding Queen 10 of clubs. So it just destroyed, you know, their hand. They, they've got a monster there. Do you want to put money in on the turn and have them raise you off your hand? Or do you want to check it back and then just call down on the river when there's a safe card that comes? Well, and it's an optimum, optimal pot control. I see this all the time. You get to the river, your last bet, they've checked to you. You think your top pair is good, and so you fire out a bet, and the guy's got the flush of the straight or two pair, and he's got you crushed, and he's been waiting for you to bet, and you took the opportunity. And, there, you know, you were only going to win if you had the best hand, and why did you put the bet in? You were already to the showdown. Yeah, you could have just you showed your showdown. And yeah. there, there's, a, there's, he talks about that. Yeah. Is if you only have a medium strength hand, but it has showdown value, and it gets checked to you on the river, check it back. Check it back. And you, you see it all the time, especially in, in some of these lower buy-in tournaments, or even the bigger buy-in tournaments. But yeah. someone satellited in or whatever, and you can tell that by the by their play, is. They, they call the flop because they've got a, a, a draw, right? And the draw hits on the turn. They're like, I got you now, I check. Mm -hmm. And you check back the turn and you can physically see them go, oh, no. <laughs> right? And you're just like, well, I guess I'm never putting any more money in. Right? So then even when they do check the river, you're more than happy to check it back and then just muck your, your top pair top kicker when they have to fold, fl uh, flip over their flush. Yeah. So even on, on wet boards, there's value to checking back to, based on the range that you're putting your opponent on. I mean, when it gets to the river and everything comes in, the straight comes in, the flush comes in, whatever, if your opponent fires out into you, then you really just got to kind of trust your read on that person and did they have it or not, or are they just representing it? And how much are they betting based on the value of the pot and all of those kinds of things. But typically by, by checking back the turn, again, it sounds counterintuitive, but you are in control of how the hand is playing out. This is one scenario where being passive actually takes control. Um, so I, when I read the book, I thought he was saying that you should check control or a pot control the flop too. And is that if if you're in position and you raised pre-flop and you hit the board, wouldn't you want a continuation bet anyways? Or not necessarily. Um, let, let's say that you I mean, that you hit that you hit the board hard, right? You you raised out of position with some sort of connected cards or one gapper or something like that. And when you raise, you know, people are going to think, well, it was just one raise. They're not going to put you on aces and kings necessarily right away or anything like that. But let's say you just flop the nuts, right? Well, if you bet there, you're not going to get value from your hand all the time because you hit the flop so hard that it's not really possible for them to have hit it really hard, right? So there are times when, yeah, go ahead and check back the flop, flop control, and it's also gonna put them off kilter because they're gonna be like, well, wait, you, you raised pre-flop. Why aren't you continuation betting now that this, this flop is coming? You have to balance it out because you have to bet your, your nuts there the same amount of time that you would check the nuts there so that you can get paid off when you actually you know flop the nuts. Um, but, but there is some value to, to checking checking back the flop, but generally it's for two reasons. One, because you just you knock the crap out of the flop and you want to make sure that you're getting value for it. Or two, you don't want to get raised off of a hand that has value based on your draw, right? And so if you have a draw and you continuation bet it and they check raise you, now all of a sudden a lot of your value's gone. Let's say you had the king queen and you hit 
Queen Jack three or something like that. Mm -hmm. And it's your, they check to you, wouldn't you want to raise? I'd be happy to raise and take the pot there in a way. I wouldn't want to check and give them a chance to hit another card, but. But if, if they have, if they have air there, right? If, if they, if they just have air, what does, what, all your bet only gets you nothing, right? Just gets you what's already in the pot. Whereas if you check back, it gives them a chance to now all of a sudden hit a card. You represented weakness, like you missed the flop, now you're going to be able to get value out of that, whereas you couldn't before. As long as, you, as, long as you're willing to, to call. Yeah. So that's, I think, can't yeah. that. that's the one yeah. thing about, I think, I mean, isn't part of pot control controlling the pot so that on that river there's a bet that is small enough that you can call it with your top mm -hmm. pair exactly. or something? Yeah. Or, if, or if you're going to make a bet, you can make a, a value bet a reasonable amount that you can still fold if you get re-raised or something. I mean, that's part of it, right? Mm -hmm. It's just sure. controlling well, what that last bet on the river is going to be. And the position had a lot to do it. So you flop top pair from under the gun where you entered the pot somehow. And do you really, if your kicker isn't just wonderful, you know, in some way, I don't know what it would have to be, but you know, do you really want to put more chips, get a three bet on you? I guess I get just this never, all the way around. I, I, the back. I mean, I only got top pair. I don't have the straight or the flush draw. Or I play. I hardly you know. ever see a three bet, ever. So I would just. I, I, I hardly <laughs> ever see anyone three bet me at running aces yeah. in lower tournaments. If I raise there, they're either. It's because people know. I got to get you on <laughs> the table more often because that's not the table I'm on. Really? I just, <laughs> I just never see three bets. Well, you can do a raise and get to a four bet before a flop all the time. Over there. You'll, you'll, you'll see more hands, you'll see a lot. <laughs> you know, so you'll, you'll, you'll see, you'll see people. Early, I guess. <laughs> but you'll see people bluff on the river based on your check on the turn. Yes, uh, to me, the turn makes sense to yeah, control. Well, but I would still. Well, feel like I almost have to continue if I'm in a continuation bet 80% of the time why wouldn't I why wouldn't I bet when I hit top pair or two keep in mind that when you're continuation betting you're continuation betting to show people that you have strength mm -hmm. yeah. if you have a hand with reverse implied odds this is what he's talking about checking the flop because you have reverse implied odds now and that's the topic what from more money than about losing earlier. hand yeah. right so if you've got something like a king 10 and a king high flop, you check back, you leave their range wide open and you still have top pair and you've kept the pot in control so that if they did have a hand like king queen, you know, you're not gonna get taken to the cleaners. You're gonna have, you're gonna control that pot enough. You're gonna be able to call down and, and potentially win most of the time, but not lose a lot of chips when you are. That's reverse And as part of your point, Andy, too, that you have to be prepared to call down then. If you're going to underrepresent your top pair, you can't then just give up when an ace comes or a jack comes or, you know, some, some scare card comes. You kind of are making the commitment that... Yeah, that's now, the hard, that's the hard part. Yeah. Is it, and it goes back to when he talks about having a plan. So like what Brian was talking about, okay, you flop top pair, you're going to control the pot, but you need to probably, I'm guessing, have a plan that mm -hmm. I'm either going to make a bet or I'm going to call a bet on the river and I'm going to go with what I got. Mm -hmm. So well, that's, 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 that's the hard part is that you got you got to continue on with your plan. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's something that is a theme throughout this book. It's not what am I doing right now. It's why am I doing what mm -hmm. I'm doing right now so that I know what I'm doing later. In right. each in each situation, because yeah. your plan's mm -hmm. going to change. Yep. Right, and, and, and the, the, right. The, in that case, the river could change. But the understanding yep. is, hey, 
if this goes the way I think, if this happens on the river, mm -hmm. I'm going to make a well. Value you can, you can think about it. You can think about plan. every potential scenario yeah. on the river. You mm -hmm. can say, all right, if I check back here and it's a safe card, he checks. I'm going to bet. If it's a safe card and he bets, I'm going to call. If the river comes and it's a scare card and he checks, I'm going to check behind. If it's a scare card and he bets, I'm going to fold or I'm going to call, depending and ba based on what the size of the bet is. So you can actually it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what comes on the river, you can make all those decisions ahead of time. Mm -hmm. That's again, keeping it simple, right? Yeah. Making it so you're not faced with a difficult decision. If I do this, and these are the possible scenarios, this is what I'm gonna do based on that. And pot controlling just makes that easier. Yes. And every time you pot control, you just make all your future decisions easier. Mm -hmm. If you go down the situation of, okay, I was a pre-flop aggressor, I was the flop aggressor, I was the turn aggressor, now the river comes, now you have a big decision to make because that pot is huge. <laughs> you were aggressive on each and every street. You have to decide, this person is now betting into me with this scare card on the board. Like, do I just give up now? Because I think I might be behind. If you kind of slow down and let this develop and let your opponent make decisions instead of you just like betting at them, you can kind of keep it simpler for yourself in the future. And when you do make mistakes, because they're going to river flushes and straights and stuff, it's going to be a smaller mistake. Mm -hmm. Well, just, yeah, the, the, the size of the pockets, like he always talks about, go, you know, grows exponentially. So mm -hmm. if there's action every street, if it's, you know, 2, 4, 8, 16, you know, if you can skip one of those streets for pot control, if you don't have a big hand, you're facing 8 instead of 16 at the end, you know, whatever the numbers are. I think that's part of it, too, yep. is now it's a manageable, it's not half your stack decision it's a quarter it's a quarter your stack or an eighth you right know. Mm -hmm. so what, what range would people continuation bet then so two-thirds of time you miss a pot you're in a continuation bet every time you miss and then I love the confidence of that that was awesome <laughs> yes if I was playing Jonathan Little and he checks after he checks the Flop, then I know he's probably got top pair weak kicker. It makes it so hard for because you don't know. You don't, you don't know what else. He could have trips. He could have. I mean, yeah. he's going to balance his rings there. He's, he's, he's going to check with his super strong hands, hands, and he's going to check with his kind of medium hands. And every once in a while, he's going to check with his really weak hands. Yeah, you're right. If he does the same thing with everything, but I think that's what he would say. Sometimes you got to check your monsters. Sometimes you got to bet your monsters. You know, I think that's mixing it up there. I think a lot of it goes to hand ranging as well, and this is something that I've been like practicing on myself. Is where is the pre-flop aggressor? Where is the caller? Where, uh, when a flop comes out, who does it benefit? And kind of what actions do each person take? Mm -hmm. When you're playing against yourself, which side <laughs> wins? <laughs> the beauty of that is I, I lose This is being recorded, guys. <laughs> you pull all the time to your raise. Yeah, yeah like, like, I can't play like if you're the pre-flop aggressor and someone calls you from the big blind, um, you can kind of put them on a certain range. <laughs> and when the flop comes out, you can think, okay, well, this range is much better for my range than their range. Even if I raise with pocket eights and it comes out three king ace, mm -hmm. that's a good flop for mm -hmm. me to continuation bet on because I have a lot of aces, I have a lot of kings, and if I bet here, it kind of shows that I have an ace or a king. Not saying that the big blind who called my bet doesn't have an ace or a king, but it has this doubt in their head, like, where am I at in this hand? Well, especially if they had like an ace with a small kicker. If you yeah. them off that hand, you're going to win a pot that you wouldn't typically win. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, that's kind of what determines continuation betting is how does that flop connect with my range and my opponent's range, and kind of where do I see this hand playing out in the future? 
one of the problems I have with this is uh, value of information, and we're assuming that that this sort of information is one-dimensional, but we've already talked about it. it's not. It's you, know, you have that image about me, I have that image about you. Have you reacted to your image of my image? You know, this head game went a next little too... Next level kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah, next level. Mm -hmm. And so... Next level that poker? When, right, exactly. So, it, so some of this is, is you want to act consistently. So I think it, when I... I, I got to stop overthinking of this. You're just acting consistently on your seatback. You know, you don't... You don't want to do it 100% of the time because it has no value then. You want to give some information out. You don't want it to always be correct information. You just want to give information. And same when you raise or enter a pot, you don't only want to raise or enter on aces and kings. They'll figure it out real quick, right? You know, so you got to balance what you're doing here. So some of that is, you know, it, it comes down to that. But the pot control solves some of the losing your chips too fast problem. Mm -hmm. is is what it so you know that that's the way when when i start going through this head game of like might have the king or he might have the jack or did he all flop me or did he, you know i'm going to get that wrong because the more of those decisions i get i'm not specific at that level i don't have that level of information i you know no matter what his prior actions were because he was trying to deceive me partly through this this tournament that's part of this game mm -hmm. right so using the ranges, is it better for his range? Is it better for my range? You know, what does it this bet mean to my chip stack versus his chip stack? You know, am I willing to get all my chips in by the river if we're going that direction? You know, and you make all those decisions beforehand. And if I play and I obey my decisions beforehand, I don't get outthought along <laughs> the way. I don't force myself to play poorly, you know, because I might be against somebody who's playing a better game than I am, you know, but do the best you can, adjust your game. You can't, not every hand are you gonna make minute to minute adjustments on. Yeah. Yeah. Am I saying that right? Or, you know? Yeah, and I, I think another thing to add there is we were talking about this pot control and I know on the last episode, Doug was talking about, hey, I don't like opening up with sixes. And I think that goes back to the pot control type thing. And his point was, I don't want to put my whole stack on the line. And when you're playing short stacked in a lot of these like daily tournaments that are essentially turbos, there is no pot control anymore. Like that goes out the window. Then you're just <laughs> playing hands. And you're essentially saying, do I want to throw in pocket sixes here when I'm short stacked? And the answer is probably no. But when you get later and you do have these deep stack tournaments or you're early on, then you can start doing this pot control and, you know, maneuvering against your opponents. Okay, how about uh, shift, shift gears a little bit, let's talk mm -hmm. about floating. We, that was a topic that came up quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Who wants to, whether it's regular floating or delayed floating or whatever, <coughs> what, uh, who wants to talk about that? I hate that I love floating. <laughs> Stacy hates that I love floating him. Yeah. <laughs> floating anonymous, is that what yeah. you mean? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's actually a great way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... I, I hate that I so, love floating. Yeah, what do you mean, though? What do you mean? <clears throat> um, it can get you into trouble. You have to make sure that you're doing it right. But it can be really effective. Um, so we kind of... We're talking about this leveling war with, like, continuation betting. And that's where the float comes in to counter this continuation bet. Mm -hmm. I may have a hand. I might not. If I'm out of position, the person who was the pre-flop aggressor in position bets into me, and I call with the intention of trying to take down the pot on the turn. 
and it can be a really effective move because it throws off that pre-flop aggressor if they're not ready for it. Uh, but when they do have a hand, it gets you into a lot of trouble because you're playing a much bigger pot than you should be with a hand that you probably shouldn't <laughs> be playing in. So you're talking about floating out of position. Right. So okay. Either way. Either way, it could get you into trouble. No, no, for sure. I'm just trying to figure out, like, so... So there's, they're floating in position, which to me is way easier than to steal on the turn, because you see it all the time whether you're in the hand or not. Somebody bets the flop, somebody calls. Then somebody checks the turn, somebody bets, and it's over. You know, so you see it all the time whether they're floating or they have a hand or not. So I feel like in position it's easier. But So how do you, how do you steal on the turn if, you, if you're out of position? Is that saying you're, you're, you bet the flop and then you lead into them on the turn? Yeah, or? so what I think in that situation is, uh, I just talked about the ranges and stuff. So yeah. say I'm in the big blind someone in cutoff raised, then I call. I've yep. got a marginal hand, maybe it's like seven, eight. I think it might hit well. But then the flop comes out four, three, nine, which I know probably doesn't connect with the cutoff hand. Mm -hmm. Even though it doesn't connect with my hand, it kind of connects with my probably hand better range. Chance. Right, right, yeah, your range. So if I check call and then lead out on any sort of reasonable turn card, it kind of puts him in a tough spot. So you float the flop and then you donk bet the turn. Yeah. Okay. Which can be effective. Like, say he has ace-king and, you know, nothing hits and he's got one more card to come and he thinks I have a pair, he's probably going to lay it down. So basically, if, if there's not an ace or a king on the turn you're betting, is that pretty much how Well, you maybe a queen, or maybe a jack, but if it comes out and it's a deuce or a yep. the board pairs, like, that's better for my range than his range, which would make me continue with my float approach of trying to take down the pot on the turn. Well, and like you said, where you're going to get into trouble then is not even necessarily then if they re-raise you there on the turn, because then you can just get away from it pretty yeah. easily, yeah. but it's when they call, are you now... Then they float gonna, you on the turn. Are you going to fire the bullet again on the river? Yeah. Right? Right. Which I hate is, that. I love it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's where it's like... Then you're why did I pull up? Well, in, in Taylor's yeah. example, let's say that the, that the turn brings a deuce, so now it's 9-3 deuce, deuce out, out on the board. Like, you're coming out of the blinds, that, that deuce is much better for you than it is for him, and even if he's got ace-king. So if you fire, you know, there's a, there's a good chance that he's going to call, right? Just because he's like, well, even out of the big blind, you probably don't have a deuce in your hand. There's two of them on the board, the so the odds of, odds of you having one are pretty small. So you either have the nine or the tray, and I've still got the two overs, right? All right, so now the, the the river brings a seven. So now you actually have made, made two pair. It can get you into trouble when he doesn't actually have ace-king because you fire out there and he raises you. Now where do you stand, <laughs> right? You're like, oh, I floated with the intention of taking this thing down on the turn. He called the turn, and now when I actually made my pair on, on the river and I bet out, he's raising me. So it can get you into spots where you don't know what you should be doing, right? So it takes away kind of that keep it simple, especially when you're doing it out of position. Yeah, maybe that's the key takeaway is it's just somewhat better to avoid doing it out of position. I think that was his He's never, never float out of position. <laughs> Taylor. Taylor. Can't teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> but floating in position can, can get you into the same kind of mm -hmm. trouble too. But it's easier to manage and control the pot right, once right. again because you have the position. You know if it's going to work on one street. You know, on the, on the you turn, you know, when they check the turn, you bet you know if it's going to work or not. Yep. Yeah. And, and floating, I mean, floating, I used to give up on over cards when it wasn't an ace high over card in my hand. 
if someone came out firing on the on the flop, and I and I would just call it just to see what would happen, or I would let it go because I'm like, ah, well, I don't have an ace in my hand, so if we if it goes if I call and then it goes check check, I don't really have showdown value, so I I would just give it up more often than not. But if you do have that position and someone comes out firing, like we talked about before with dog betting, uh, they usually have a fairly weak hand. So it's okay to just have king high in your hand or queen high in your hand, because if, if it does go check, 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 your, your showdown value actually isn't all that bad. Um, so floating to hit in, in position can, can really be a powerful thing. Cause now you've just called on, on the flop and then the overcard comes that you have, uh, they're gonna they're gonna check you can you again now all options are available to you again you can check behind you know controlling the pot disguising your hand there's all kinds of things that you can you can do there you can bet and just dip it down if you if it's kind of wet board and you don't want them to catch up or yeah i mean i just know floating can be powerful because i hate it so much yeah <laughs> you know when, when i'm floated you yeah. know if you say you have pocket tens and you're in middle position and somebody mm -hmm. calls and the flop comes King high and you bet and they call, mm -hmm. you know, then a queen comes and then then what? Then, then you're just you what, what you, do I really just want to give up tens here? No. no. But if I check, they're gonna bet. <laughs> if I bet, they're gonna call. You know, mm -hmm. you just you don't you go through these mental gymnastics of how far down the road do I want to go here with what's now potentially third pair. And so I think about the the pain that I go through when people are floating me, whether they have it or not. I think, oh, how, how can I apply that pain to somebody else and watch them start squirming with their tens? You know, but yeah, you can get yourself in trouble. But it is a nice way to win to win pots. Are uh, you guys you guys float much or intentionally at all? Or I feel like I've started to do it more um, because it just seems like if you are just doing a standard continuation bet all the time, uh, good players are gonna float you. So it just feels like. That's you need to do that as well, mm -hmm. just to. Otherwise, you're just gonna. You can't always fold to a continuation bet. So I try to look at it in the in the reverse. It's like, okay, that guy keeps continuation betting. I'm gonna. You Are know. you able to summon up the courage then on the turn if they check to fire? <sighs> yeah, I, I mean it's it's hard. I think you have to have a plan. Yeah. But I I think like what Taylor said too. I mean it it does make it at least it, it puts pressure it's you're right. playing aggressive you're taking control of the of the of the pot so i think that's always probably a good thing when you're in position mm -hmm. i think the biggest danger of floating at least for me is folding in any pot is always the least fun option <laughs> 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 Floating is very fun. <laughs> <laughs> and the poker is fun, as we've learned the poker is fun too. Right, right. Out. So I, I think that's one of the things I struggle with is trying to remember winning is also <laughs> <laughs> And trying you have to be there to win. Right. <laughs> trying to make the proper play for the long term game as opposed to the uh, what is fun right now. Right. Uh, so I think fold, floating is a very powerful tool. I think it is one I have overused and not used for a reason other than it is not fun to fold. <laughs> it's, so, a high, it's a high variance. <laughs> floating is a, it gives, yeah. is de by def it's really a high, higher variance play. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, that, I think that's such a good point that so well, many people don't fold. I mean, folding is like it's it sucks to fold, but it's you forget how important it is. To and it fold also hands. goes back to what he said. You have to understand your opponent, which is another one of my weaknesses. <laughs> um, 
Because if you're get if you're against someone who will continuation bet and then give up, then floating is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. two thirds of the time they're going to miss the pot, which means you can win two thirds of the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're against someone who isn't going to necessarily <laughs> give up, then right. then floating isn't such a good idea. But if you have no idea how they're playing. Then how do you know whether floating is well, a good idea? Floating, floating can also be good against someone who's going to fire every street too, though. Right. Yeah. Because, it, like you said, they're going to miss, mm -hmm. and if they're going to keep firing every and single time, every I single street, why. and I hit it on the turn, I'm just going to get paid off. Yeah. So I mean, floating, floating is a, is a great tool to use regardless of someone's ability to fire multiple streets. Well, it's if they are going to continuation bet. Regardless, at least one street, then get it in there. You know, don't well, go plus, away. A lot of these people that are just continuation betting all the time, you float them, mm -hmm. and then you, you know, you kind of tell they don't have a hand. You bet, they're done. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. So why not, why not re-raise them? If, if you've got the, the, the type of, I get it, I get it with the player that's going to give up. I get that. You know, you, you call them once and they, they check, you bet, you win. Mm -hmm. If they're going to fire every street, why not just re-raise them on the first the first flop, you know, bet that they make. Why not just re-raise them right there and see if it'll be done? Well, you don't get as done. much information. Well, well, but you don't, you don't but if you don't have a hand, I'm saying if you're purely floating, like you, you haven't hit anything right. yet, you're just you want to float them with king seven, but they're a hyper aggressive player. Every time you float, but you can't on the turn. They don't want to bet. Turn. If they yeah. do bet again, I mean, you get information on every step of the. But play. you just said they're going to bet every street. <laughs> Why would I sit there and call all the way down with the worst hand? And then would the intent then be to re-raise them on the river? Not necessarily. I think well, you're saying they're going to. They're aggressive players that are betting. A lot of aggressive players, though, after the flop, if they don't have it, and they bet twice, a lot of times they'll shut down. Okay, so that's what you're betting. You're keep saying calling with nothing. But no. I, was, I was saying we're against a player that we think is going to fire every street. Well, if they're that aggressive, do you want to do you want to face a four bet from them when you when you do raise instead right. of float? Well, right. That's so you so wouldn't float. Then. You're saying you wouldn't float against that kind of a player? No, I totally would. If I know that but somebody's when are you going to steal the pot? When huh? I'm trying to understand when do you steal the pot from a player like that? Just because you float doesn't mean you have to steal the pot. You can you're floating. You can you can float and hit. You're floating to hit. That's With what you're some saying. equity. Yeah. Okay. You you can float to hit. You can float to steal. There's there's all kinds of things that you. I can don't do. think we're yeah. showing the hands over Fair enough. At, yeah. at the turn. But I'm but, it, but without is, you can get yourself into trouble and you can't continue past the past okay. the, the turn. I'm thinking of floating as floating with the intent to steal the pot, which is part yeah. of it. But you're saying yeah. there's you're more floating to it. With, there's more to it than that. I mean, I've got overs to the board or yeah. whatever. Well, okay. you have overs to the board, or you know that this guy is just going to keep firing away with ace king no matter what, and it's yeah. a you know a board okay. that's much better for your range than for his. There's all kinds of things that can come out that can give you. You still if if he only is doing gotcha. it with overs, right? Yep. And you guys. You have two live cards against those overs, and and it doesn't hit on the board. Now, once the flop hits, you're still like 38 percent or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, go ahead and call the call the flop at least. Okay, you're right? calling for equity. Then. Yeah, you're not calling for a zone. Yeah. you you can yeah. hit, you can steal. If it's someone who's going to fire every street, then you need to be prepared to just let it go on the turn. If you if you've got no chance of hitting something, right. or okay, fair that he's going to yeah. fold it back. Or I was thinking it purely from a well, I think tournaments. Yeah, yeah. They vary during the, the tournament as to how much floating you see going on. And uh, I just played a tournament the other day with a qualifier. Started really aggressively. Way too many chips were getting damaged early in the tournament. And everybody's stack was getting down to a half stack, and then somebody had a double one stack. Guy that had well, no, it just kept moving around because the, the bet sizing was way too big. And then all of a sudden, we went through this period of time where everybody was floating. 
the, the aggression backed off. And the, during that period of time, really weird things. I remember a hand where everybody, well, there were five people in the hand, the flop came king, queen, jack with two suited cards. You would have thought somebody who hit this thing like a monster and took the pot away. And they floated the thing all the way to the river and a pair of nines won with the river card. You know, and, but it was, you could, it was such a rich board and everybody had a little piece of it. Do you really want to get into the three bet and the four bet on this board? Because you might not have the biggest piece. So yeah. everybody was controlling the pot. Everybody was voting. They were, they were really, well, and one guy at the end, the river, let's not, let this get out of control. The button, the button <laughs> yeah. was putting out a bet every time. And they, everybody, no one folded. Everybody called his bet, but he didn't go shove yeah. all in, obviously. Mm -hmm. And he didn't win either. You know, he should have stopped betting. He should have <laughs> checked it. And, so he should have controlled the pot. You know, he should have pot controlled. Gotcha. So. Steve, when you said you were talking about whether you float and whether you raise versus floating, and Little talks about it specifically in his book, and he talks about how, um, if you care, on page 122, I happen to have yeah. marked it. He talks about the float is a cheaper bluff than raising because you're going to, if you, if you raise and he re-raises, you're folding. Mm -hmm. If you float and he checks on the turn, you're betting and he folds. You've, you've now successfully bluffed and risked you know, less chips. So, so that's you, what he, that's his yeah. kind of way of so looking at So if you float, obviously you risk less, but then you're, you're assuming that the, a good chunk of the time he's going to check that you can then bet on bet. the turn. Yeah. yeah cause versus if, you raise versus me, if he raises you, you're folding no matter what, right. almost all the time. I just like the idea of having fold equity at least because I feel like that's on the flop at least yeah. the re-raise gives me fold equity at that time. Mm -hmm. yeah. But I guess you're exchanging that fold equity for potential turn fold equity. Cheaper checks, that well, which could be cheaper. And if, if, right. if your opponent did have Ace King in continuation bet the flop after missing, he still got two cards to come. Sure. So he's less likely to actually fold for your fold equity right. than he is on the turn, because on the turn you've only got one card left to come. But is he likely to check on the turn? That's that's where kind of knowing the player, right? Is he likely mm -hmm. to mm -hmm. check on the turn, or is this a guy that's going to continue anyway? Yep. And now is maybe my chance to try to steal it. Or... Yep, exactly. That's what I was saying before. Is if it's someone that's yeah, I really wasn't listening to you before. No, that's <laughs> <laughs> I'll just I'll just shut up. No, no, no. please, Brian. Well, 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 thank you very much. Visit nextlevel.poker. It takes me three or four times <laughs> to, to catch it. No, go ahead. But that's what I was saying before: is you you have to understand who your opponent is and when when they're c-betting and how often they're going to c-bet and yeah. how many streets they're going to fire. Because and that's why I said if it is someone who's going to fire every street, I'm going to float that flop every single time. It gives me a, a much easier decision on the turn because if now if I've turned outs or if I've actually hit my hand, now I'm never folding it if I hit my hand, right? Because he's going to fire the river anyway. Um, but if it's someone who is only going to fire the, the the flop and only see bet the flop and then check the turn to me, then yeah, I'm going to float the, yeah. the flop every time because if he's going to check the turn to me, now whether I hit or not doesn't matter. Now I can represent that I have the hand and get him to fold. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And because you're in position, you have the ability, to, I mean, if you, you, you can have... You can have him check to the turn, and then you have, you can make whatever decision you want to make. You have a lot of options, I suppose. Yeah, I just think it's such, a, it's such a hard thing for me, and this is maybe a growth edge for me, is the, you know, floating against a guy that's going to continue to keep firing, even if I'm not there. Let's say I float him with 10-9, because I think he could have two big cards as a big part of his range, and then I hit a 10, woo -hoo! but he, <laughs> you know, he fires the turn, he fires the river, 
I mean, obviously guys like that can still have a hand. Yeah, they can, but you know, that's, okay. you know what you I mean? You and like, I played a hand like this in All In For Africa last year. <laughs> Remember, you were in the blind and I was on the button and there was a raise in front of me and I had some crap like I normally do. And I'm like, well, let's just see what Steve's gonna do because he's been reading a lot and I don't <laughs> and, and just a couple weeks prior to that, I had dealt to him in a hand where he, he tried to squeeze play and after the hand was over, we went to break and I'm like, that didn't work out exactly. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give him a chance to see if he's gonna do it again and see if he's gonna make the, the appropriate raise size. So <laughs> I just, I just flatted and sure shit, here comes Steve out of the small line with the squeeze play, and it was fabulous. And I'm like, I'm just gonna see how this plays out because I want to see if I'm right. So I call, I had like three seven or something. It was some crap, right? And I'm like, Steve's gonna see that the the flop regardless. So I already know I'm calling the flop, and then we'll figure out what we're gonna do come the turn. So we see the flop. I miss. I have crap. He bets, I knew I have crap, I know I'm calling, so I just call automatically. The turn comes and I actually hit my three. And sure enough, here comes Steve just firing away again. And I'm like, ah, I kind of give him props. Maybe he either has a hand or he's learning that he can't just give up, right? <laughs> uh, and so then he, he fired again and I'm just like, eh, I'll just call with my three. Uh, and the river comes and Steve checks and I was super happy to just flip over my three before he had a chance to flip over his cards and go, I win. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even remember. It's like me reliving the whole thing. <laughs> I believe it. But then he was, he was like, you just knew I was going to squeeze there. And I'm like, yup. And he goes, and you just floated me there with crap? And I'm like, yup. And see, that's where that's a situation where you don't want to necessarily fire back over the top of, on the turn because if, if he's reached that level where he can understand that I'm going to be playing back at him, even though I don't have a very strong hand, now he can make my decision very difficult and three bet over the top on the turn. Whereas if I just call on the turn even though now I've hit my hand there's potentially if he would have fired the river I'm still calling um, but I, I just really was tickled pink to flip it over and go I know and, uh, and that's because it was Steve and you know how he played right and, and so you knowing you're acting him your to do these things right. yeah so that's what little talks yeah. a lot about that about knowing your opponent and right. sorry I didn't want to embarrass you on your own podcast no I, I, I but it was you embarrassed just, yourself yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What was the name of that website? <laughs> <laughs> Next level of poker. No. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's it. But those that's the kind of situation where right. you know the power of that float. The float, yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure it drove me crazy. It did. I'm sure it drove me crazy. No, just that you were floating me in the start. And then yeah. you hit probably too. Yeah. Well, and what they did and Doug's summary he says floating with is the idea of continue calling the bat and continuing in the pot with the idea of taking it down on a later street, which isn't too much different than calling the bat to see if I hit. <laughs> I was just going to try and take it down on the turn, but yeah. I happened to hit my three. Yeah. So, so then I was like, <laughs> now, you want to kind of now I got a monster. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to show him I'm going to win with a three. Right, right, but right. that's the other thing about floating, too, is it does give you the opportunity right. to improve your hand. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. that's, all, that's a point of it, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Well, and, and it's, you know, how some of us rec players go home a lot. So you get the pocket case, you get this mixed middle crappy flop out there, and no one's betting at you, and you just think you're golden, and that nothing can <laughs> ever beat you, <laughs> you know, so rather than pot controller, <laughs> you're firing, right, mm -hmm. you know, and he's in there with his three seven hits two pairs and send me home, you know, <laughs> and I just, how could he do that? <laughs> I just need him, I just need him. <laughs> it's a long-term game, it's a long-term game, just make the right decisions for the, the, over the long-term, and eventually that guy, you'll have all his money.
Yeah. Well, a lot of a lot of other stuff we can talk about about this section, but anything else people want to? I know we didn't touch on everything, but anything else that we want to? Final words on chapters? Uh, what was it, four and five, or five and six? Five and six. Uh, we didn't get a chance to talk about varying bet sizes or some of the bluffing stuff or some of the value betting stuff. Anybody want to quickly touch on any of that before we go? I, just real quick for, for bluffing, your bluff has to make sense. Because if your bluff if your bluff doesn't make sense, it's not going to work. So if you're if you're doing just a pure bluff, it's it's just not going to work. So you hear that all the time. Yeah. Your story has to make sense. Right. Let's spend a couple of minutes on that. What yeah. does that mean? I mean what. You know what? What do we actually mean by your bluff has to make sense? Like you, you really have to say I'm only representing this sort of range that's that's so, big or what? I mean, well, and he gets into different scenarios yeah. and such. But think of it, think of it this way: if I'm if I'm on the button and I make a raise, and just the big blind calls. Now the big blind's going to have good value to be getting in there, right? And the flop comes eight high, and I and I actually let's say I actually have a legitimate hand like ace king or ace queen, something like that, and it just happened that I that I have it on the button, and it goes check check. Why would I ever check there? We can get into reasons for that, but if it, if I if I do check or I and he bets and he and I just call and the turn comes and it's another blank and now I start firing away. Well, in the big blinds, mm -hmm. is that going to make sense that I'm, because now I'm trying to represent that I hit like that over, flop. Or have an overpair. Right, yeah. or that I have an overpair. Well, yeah. if I if I hit that flop, which is a crap flop, or I have an overpair, I'm never checking that, that flop because any card that comes could, could potentially be dangerous to me. So the person in the big blind is, is never going to believe that you actually hit that flop or that you have an overpair to that flop because you wouldn't have checked it to begin with when the block came out. So just when you're when you're doing just a stone cold bluff as opposed to semi bluffing, but even semi bluffs have to make make sense. You have to be telling a story that's believable, right? Because if, if it doesn't make any sense, it's not going to work. It's not going to get through. Mm -hmm. You're going to get called down. You might get called down by ace high, and if you have ace king, you're better. But you you get my point. Is that it? There has to be a, a believable story that's being told with your block. And I think I'm better at like. Looking at other people's stories, mm -hmm. I mean, I love the hero call anyway. I'm addicted to it, right. but I, you know, I mean, I think I'm better like looking at somebody else's story and going, mm, I see it. Then exactly. I am at assessing my own story because mm -hmm. I do some of these bluffs and afterwards, like that was really dumb. But <laughs> in the moment, I'm not really thinking is this believable. I'm just thinking nobody seems to want this pot. Right. <laughs> well, <laughs> why don't I? Do and that's that's you where know? a lot of bluffing actually happens, and where bluffing crushes your stack. Yeah. Is yeah. If I just, it, you know, I've read in poker books, I'm supposed to be aggressive, and I read in columns, I'm aggressive supposed to be aggressive, poker, and right. I see all these aggressive players always winning. All right, well, I whiffed on this flop, but I have no chance of ever making anything. Let's fire away at it, right? Oh, okay, well, if, if you're just firing away, and, and they're still calling, at some point, either A, you're going to stop and still be able to play, or B, you're going to go broke, one, one or the other. And so it, it needs to make sense. Yeah. The thing I think of, and I think it does help, and it's more when I'm thinking of my bluff line, but when you're kind of considering someone else's too, is much like a story, there needs to be a beginning, a middle, and an end in any story, and if any of those first two elements are missing, then the end seems weird to me, and so when someone fires off this crazy bet on the river, I'm, that's their end tale, and I'm like, but there was no middle, or there wasn't a beginning, so to me it doesn't, and I want to keep that thought in mind too, when I see the river comes, and I'm like, oh. I think I can take this away, but I never had a beginning or a middle, yeah. so it's gonna look fishy. So. Or here's here's an idea. Here's a really good one too, and this is again make it believable. So 
you see it all the time where someone's calling down with their flush draw, right? And the river comes and they miss and they were out of position and they fire right away. All right, yeah. well, we kind of all know to just call them because they missed their, their flush, right? Because it, it doesn't make any right. sense. If they, were, if they actually had a hand before that river, they, they probably would have raised you at some point or they would have been the aggressive aggressor to, to bet. Well, now all of a sudden, you know, the river comes in as a blank, the flush doesn't complete, and they put out a gigantic bet in relation to the size of the pot. What story is that telling? Mm -hmm. What are they representing? Mm -hmm. that, that, that they happen to make a set on the river? Mm -hmm. I mean, really? And if you made a set on the river, wouldn't you just check it to the guy who's <laughs> been betting all along and, value, and check yeah. raise them over the top anyway? Yeah. So it, the, you see that, that's a really easy one. It's something that you see a lot where Someone's calling you down, there's a flush draw on the board, and then all of a sudden the flush misses, and speed of bet has a lot to do with this. But the, all of a sudden they shove, and it, they put a big bet out there that in relation to the pot makes zero sense at all. Mm -hmm. It's never going to get through. That's, that's what just happened to me at 6-Max, and that's why I got a big pot, but it, it almost got through, though. It, uh, <laughs> even though I had a monster. Right. But you're still, but you're still such a big bet. Yeah, so you're just like, you're, you're afraid of the bet. It takes you a long yeah. time to kind of, pro but you right. eventually get there, yeah. right? You're like... I got, I got called. I got clock called on me for the second time ever. I did that. <laughs> and I found out, yeah, the new rules are three seconds. Yeah, minutes. you're welcome. Right. Three seconds. Yeah. Well, so is that? Yeah. Is, so is is it like for a rec player? Are we? Is it not that we're bluffing too much, but we're just bluffing in the wrong spots where we're not telling a, a, a good story? Is that how you'd look at that? I would answer both of those questions with yes. I think we get away. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think I think we get away sometimes with it in some of the tournaments, at least that I play. Because people because I can I can make a big bluff on the river, and not have a beginning or a middle. Because and people are so full because they're like, oh my gosh, she must have a monster because they're not necessarily thinking okay. that. So I think I, I get I think I can get myself in trouble that way. Mm -hmm. And then when I play against more advanced players. I think they then they do that whole. Mm, I don't think so. I don't know. That's not really answering your question, but that's no, I, that, how I think about it. Mm -hmm. Like I get spoiled. I get I can get spoiled by thinking, oh, I can just bet any pot and they'll all fold because they don't like to put that many chips in. I think I think that bluff, rec players aren't bluffing enough, and that they bluff at the in the wrong spots. They they bluff in the spots that don't make sense, and they're not doing it enough. Because if you don't get caught, you're not doing mm -hmm. it enough. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I don't see rec players getting caught bluffing nearly as often as experienced players. And you know that's true because the tournaments that I'll play, like I'll run a bluff or something and I'll get caught, and everybody's just like, you just see them all muttering yeah. to each other, what, is that guy? what an idiot, you know? <laughs> and maybe, maybe they're right, but you know, like, like well, seriously. The, we the, hand out flyers ahead of time that says, Steve yeah. is an idiot. Right. <laughs> I, I had my flush draw that engaged there, surprised. and I took a shot at it. Like, well, you're a fool, you know? Like, well, maybe, but, but that's when you know that people aren't bluffing enough because everybody right. else at the table is like, yep. what a crazy guy. Instead of, you know, the good players are kind of like, yeah, good try. Yeah. Good try. yeah. 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 That totally makes sense. I don't <laughs> know why you got called there, but <laughs> right. yeah, I should have called you there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, what I see is that <laughs> even at these Aces middle-sized tournaments, that when you get later in the tournament, you get against the better players. They're not, they're not winning a lot of bluffs with the intent of winning a bluff. They're aggressive players in position, raising you, staying in the hand, getting all the way to the end. And I'm going to fold most of the time if I have nothing, if they're aggressively betting at me because I have a rec player and I attribute them with something. Mm -hmm. And somebody else didn't fold, and I get to see their hands ahead of both of them. Right. You know, and, uh, but when you get down to diagnosing that whole series of cards, yeah, it wasn't a crazy wild ass 
cold yeah. ass bluff. It was a semi bluff. They were all in the hand or position and playing normal See, poker. They were playing this poker. is the result of what happened. And they told a story. That, and they told yeah, the story, and yeah. yeah, and it happened. The difference between playing your cards and playing the poker, you know, playing, and yeah. the players at the and I was that player at the table they were playing. So. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you hit, if you hit, you're gonna get out. If you do well. get hit, you're going to get paid well. The only problem then is then you're dependent on getting hit, and I think that That's minimizes your your chance of winning. Yes, when you're it, correct. When you're dependent on oh, because I, I you know I do that. You know, like, if I could just hit a set against these guys, of course, but it doesn't happen very right. often. You so. could end up going out set over set. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. Any other uh, thoughts on that? Sorry, section? that was supposed to be quick, and oh, uh, well, I'm I'm the worst. <laughs> this is why I don't get paid to facilitate anything. <laughs> Alright. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack has the best poker room in Minnesota. Featuring 24-7 promos on all cash poker games, including earning $2 per hour in comps, plus the most player-friendly tourney structures. Visit RunAces.com for daily promotions and the tournament calendar. Running Aces Casino and Racetrack, the official sponsor of Rec Poker. Well, that's it for another episode of Rec Poker. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at Rec Poker on Facebook. And also feel free to contact me directly, stevefredland at gmail.com. And let me know any uh, feedback that you have on this episode or ideas for upcoming episodes. Once again, thanks for joining us.